Welcome to New Chip Accelerate, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the New Chip Accelerator. From investing to building a company culture, this podcast strives to shine a light on the many unknowns that entrepreneurs face on a daily basis. Through talks with key personalities, Accelerate will teach you how to approach your investors, companies, customers, and roles with a fresh perspective. Today's episode is an interview between New Chips Kyle Croyle and Young America Capital's Peter Formanek. They ask important questions about the relationship between startups and investment banks. Why wait? Let's get right into it. My name is Kyle Croyle. I'm VP of Startup Success and Acting Investor Relations Director at New Chip Accelerator. I'm honored to be joined by Peter Formanek, CEO of Young America Capital, uh, to discuss investment banking firms and their relationship with startups. I think this is a very interesting topic and perhaps one that many in the startup community are naive to. Uh, from my own experience as a startup co-founder, when we were raising capital, we never really considered engaging with an investment banking firm. Why? I think we assumed that they were mostly involved with IPOs, with M&A activity, with only those startups raising Series B and beyond. Uh, while they play a huge role in those areas, I think there are opportunities not fully understood by startup founders when it comes to being engaged with an investment banking firm, which is really why I'm excited to learn more from Peter. So Peter, thank you so much for joining me and, and the whole New Chip community. Uh, to start, I would love to hear more about you and Young America Capital, if you don't mind. Sure. So we are a 70-person investment bank and broker-dealer headquartered in um, Westchester, New York, which is a suburb of New York City. But our, our 70 people are, are virtual, so they're mainly working from their home or from a shared space facility near their home across the United States, as well as in Europe, uh, the Middle East, and uh, the Caribbean. Uh, we also have a, a strong Latin America investment banking team uh, that's based in, in Miami and New York and handles a lot of Latin America early stage through growth stage uh, equity capital raises and company sales. We're, we're, we're focused on raising capital for small to medium-sized companies, typically raising between two to, two to 25 million of, of equity or debt capital. And then we also have a placement agent team that raises money for venture funds, private equity funds, hedge funds, and real estate funds. So the virtue of having both of those teams is we get to talk to the uh, fund managers on a regular basis, uh, not just pitching them deals, but also finding out where they are in their capital raising cycle for their institutional limited partner capital raise process. So uh, we've completed uh, over 36 transactions in the past 24 months. So we're very high volume uh, shop and um, we've closed 14 deals just in 2020 alone. So that's kind of a brief overview on us. Um, awesome. Briefly, I was a financial analyst for two different bulge bracket uh, uh, broker dealers down in Wall Street. Uh, one was uh, Spear, Leeds and Kellogg, which is now Goldman Sachs Execution and Clearance. And then I worked for the Pershing division of uh, DLJ, uh, which is now part of Bank of New York Mellon. So I learned how uh, big broker dealers operate and investment bank banks are managed and run ran. And I segued into a, a career path uh, taking me into public accounting. So I have about 30 years of public accounting experience. I was the CFO of a private equity fund in Greenwich, Connecticut for 10 years. And I helped them grow from one $200 million fund to over a billion of assets under management, that's Southern Cross Group. And in 2009, I set up my own broker dealer to um, pursue uh, working with companies and with, with fund managers. And we've grown that from three people to 70 people over about 11 year period of time. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that growth. Thank you. Um, 
So, so to get into kind of some of the uh, the points that I'm I'm uh, really excited to learn about. So, you know, what are some of the roles that an investment bank plays in the startup ecosystem? Um, and I know you had mentioned that you know you uh, you know possibly differentiate yourself from other investment banking firms, and that you do kind of uh, engage with seed and Series A companies. If you could just touch a little bit more on that. Yeah. So, to my knowledge, we are one of the only medium to large sized investment banks that will regularly take on series A and seed stage uh, capital raises. Uh, most of the other investment banks that really do want to work on series B or later uh, and or focus strictly on M&A and, and company sales. Uh, we decided, uh, I used to be a COBOL programmer and a database administrator, and I've been the CEO of several different tech startups. So we decided that we, we can add more value uh, if we're deeply involved in the earlier stage companies because we can identify the diamonds in the rough and see from an investor standpoint what would be interesting for investors to see and then help those companies uh, along their journey to becoming a, a larger, more mature company. So we will work with seed stage companies. We look uh, at a minimum for the company to have uh, be on a path towards a minimum viable product that is uh, gonna be deliverable within the next three, three to six months. And then we, we also wanna see there's been some prior funding so that the company has had some uh, build out of its, uh, of its technology platform or its intellectual property. We do, we do work on early stage life sciences and healthcare uh, capital raises as well. We have two doctors on our life sciences and healthcare team. So uh, those will often be uh, pre-revenue companies as well. Uh, but we look for companies that really have uh, a, a pathway to being commercially viable and, and have a, a financial projection that's defensible, showing that how they're going to cross over to, to break even and profitability within a reasonably short period of time, unless it's a life sciences company and it's going to sure. take longer time for them. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And, and so how, maybe walk me through if, if I'm a startup and um, you know, obviously, uh, one of the benefits, as you mentioned, of working with um, an investment bank is, um, you know, it's another it's another avenue to to find investors. And you guys have your own network of investors. You have your own process. If I'm a startup that would want to get involved with with Young America Capital, you know, what does that process look like? So now I know if I fit kind of into that category. Um, you know, what's that process from going from, um, hey, uh, reaching out to, to you guys and then actually getting involved and hopefully being successful in raising capital? Sure. So, um, you know, every startup has uh, limited resources. Hopefully you have some board uh, members or board advisors uh, or an independent advisory network that's giving you advice. If those people can help you raise uh, capital, then you don't need an investment bank. But most of the CEOs we talk to, they have the makings of a capital raise, but they either don't have all the context necessary or they don't know what the methodology and process is to get it done in a streamlined, efficient, and timely manner. So we provide a lot of cumulative life experience that will help a seed stage or Series A CEO to uh, rapidly run a process to uh, reach out to a, a large pool of investors that are tailored towards uh, a proclivity to invest in your type of company rather than just blanketing a bunch, a big bunch of investors. So if it's a if it's a, a robotics uh, startup, then we're only going to focus on robotics focused investors. And so we spend about hundred thousand dollars a year 
on software, um, Capital IQ and PitchBook in particular, but there's uh, many other softwares that we, we subscribe to, to help us get that information, uh, accurately timely information, and, uh, and, and make sure that we're reaching out to the right person within the firm to, to give you the best possible chance of, of being favorably reviewed and, and, and um, set, set up uh, CEO conference calls with, with the investors and then facilitate uh, a term sheet negotiation process or a participation in a, in a syndicated round. Um, so that's where we can add value if you can't get it done on your own or if you really wanna make sure you have an insurance policy to make sure that you're successful uh, you know, you may be able to raise half the money, but you may want to raise five million, and you really are only confident confident about two and a half million. So we can play a role. One of the virtues of our firm is we're more flexible on contract terms than a lot of other firms. We can work on a rifle shot basis with a um, no retainer or a small initial work fee, or we can work and run a comprehensive process that's going to raise you five to $10 million. And so we'll, you'll, if you pay us less or you give us less economic term benefits in the, in the contract negotiating process, we're going to put less effort into it, but we're still going to reach out to the people that we think it's appropriate based upon the commitment that we've made with the client. So you, you really want to have a good source of, uh, of uh, alignment of interest with your investment bank and or your internal or external capital raiser. And you want to make sure that that person or people have the requisite skills to uh, make sure you're successful because you don't want to have a, uh, a an unsuccessful capital raise. It's a disastrous flame out uh, experience. Um, so we uh, we we have an 18 week boot camp um, process that we run to rapidly roll out our uh, investor solicitation process once we've worked with you to get your documents properly uh, formatted and with all of the information that investors want to see. And we can quickly get you uh, onto conference calls with, with um, investors, uh, whether they be uh, ultra high net worths, family offices, venture funds, corporate development executives at strategics, uh, even uh, venture debt lenders, and uh, uh, maybe even mezzanine or, or structured equity investors, depending upon where you are in your in your revenue generation cycle. So you wanna get uh, exposure to a, a fairly broad list of, of potential investors, because if you, even if you have a phenomenal startup, uh, if pe 20 people look at it, only two or three people are really gonna make a good hard run at it if, uh, because the other people are gonna have some gating factors and or not like the space or yep. not have experience in the space. So, Absolutely. So that's kind of an overview of how we typically work with uh, CEOs that are trying to raise capital. Awesome. Yeah, I always recommend to our startups of having, uh, you know, five to 10 uh, investor conversations that you're kind of curating through the process because uh, it's manageable. And then once kind of one drops off and you just fill it with another. Um, and so kind of to, to that point, though, you know, uh, you know, what are some of the trends that, that you're seeing um, on the fundraising side for startups, particularly in a very interesting uh, 2020 um, are you finding, you know, you had mentioned that you work with the high net worth individuals, family offices, private equity, venture capital firms. Um, are you seeing any kind of particular trends uh, on the fundraising side? And then even on the M&A side, because I think for a lot of startups, 
um, you know, while it's always ambitious to reach for an IPO, you know, I think uh, having kind of a uh, the lens on other type of, of exit strategies is super useful. So are you seeing anything kind of in the market on both the M&A activity front and then the fundraising success uh, for startups? Sure. So due to, uh, you know, this unique COVID climate that we're, we're muddling through, there are high performing industries that are much more in favor with investors, uh, software, financial services, delivery services, alcohol, um, uh, home maintenance, waste removal, out, outdoor recreation, senior care. There's plenty of industries that are being adversely affected by COVID. So if you're in a, uh, a restaurant uh, dependent industry, you may need to make a pivot uh, in order to induce investors to get excited about investing with you. Because if you're going to continue to focus on an industry that's adversely impacted by COVID, and we are not confident when uh, that adverse impact is going to uh, be lifted, then you're going to have a, a hard time inducing investors to get excited about the opportunity. So if you can pivot your business to, to diversify your risk from uh, to, into um, more high-performing industries, it definitely increases the probability of success in the capital raise. Um, you know, we, we, we're also seeing that people are trying to raise more money if they can get it because they don't know how long it's going to be uh, before they can raise additional money. So don't, don't just try to raise the minimum amount, raise as much as you can with as long as the valuation is reasonable so that you have a longer runway and you have a better probability <clears throat> of being successful in ramping your uh, revenue and getting closer to break even before you have to do your next capital round because you don't want each round to be uh, highly dilutive. Yeah, and, and I guess to, to that point, um, you know, obviously in the middle of the year, or it, you know, once March hit, we, we saw kind of a uh, you know, almost a pause in, in investor act activity, at least with, with new investments. The way that I saw it and after talking to a lot of investors in my network was that they kind of took a pause on, on looking at investments in new companies and rather looked at their existing portfolio, uh, tried to identify which companies they should uh, pump more money into. Uh, and candidly, there might be some companies that they needed to just let die because they weren't going to be able to pivot. They were, uh, to your point, in, a, in an industry that was going to be severely um, affected uh, in a negative manner uh, because of COVID. Um, and so, you know, there seemed to be this pause, uh, you know, for a few months into June, July. Do you think that kind of investment activity is is ramping up already towards the, as we see the end of 2020, are, um, you know, venture capital firms, family offices, uh, angel groups, do you see kind of more uh, funds being deployed? And then as we go into 2021, you know, kind of what are your, you know, uh, what's your best guess on what the uh, market will look like uh, next year? Yeah, I, I do see that, um, you know, there's a lot of slogans um, like flat is the new up. So, you know, in this year, if you can just keep your revenue flat and not lose revenue, that you, you basically get a hall pass for a while because nobody's expecting exponential revenue growth in such a harsh economic climate. Um, also, people are trying to accomplish more with less capital. Um, so they want to be more capital efficient because capital is costing more and it's uh, scarcer to, to uh, obtain. So people are trying to accomplish more with less. Uh, the investors are trying to put in more milestones where if it's a milestone-based funding uh, agreement that it, it, 
in order to get the additional rounds of funding, you have to accomplish maybe more difficult hurdles and milestones. Uh, but there is plenty of capital available for the clear winners, the people that really have a, a unique and differentiated uh, business model, and it's deemed to be a must-have and not a nice-to-have. Um, and the other factor that's that's um, ad, ad affected the process is that not everybody is really good at or comfortable with Zoom pitching, and almost all of the investor solicitation is over Zoom right now. And so people who really want to spend time face-to-face, -face, whether it be the investor or the CEO, they're not able to do that as readily. So if, if I'm an investor and I believe in face-to-face -face relationships, I'm not going to be making as many investments. And if I'm a CEO and I'm not really good at Zoom or I don't love doing it, I might not be as competitively uh, positioned as somebody who's really good at Zoom. So um, that, that's kind of a few of the bullet points on what's going on. Now, the milestone funding is a really interesting thing. And, and uh, is that becoming more common in your opinion? Is that being utilized um, by a particular type of investor, i.e. VCs? Um, because I think that's really, you know, useful to understand as a startup founder when we, you know, we're really big at new chip on, on KPIs uh, and tracking your KPIs and communicating them to existing investors. And then obviously when you're engaging with new ones, uh, that milestone funding is um, something that's kind of new to uh, it's the first time I've heard that in its, uh, you know, the way that you described it kind of in an actual contract. Um, I know it exists. I just uh, haven't personally uh, seen it. Do you find that is going to be the the norm? Yeah, I think the ultra high net worths and the family offices are, are more enthusiastic about putting in milestone based funding agreements. Uh, they don't want to, I, I think a family office is willing to put up less capital and then be, uh, be rewarded with reward the company if the company is successful, but be willing to walk away from the investment if the company doesn't perform. So that's more on the pri pri the family office and individual investor level than on the venture or private equity level. But it is yeah. something that people are, are are trying to implement into their process. I think a venture capital fund is going to just be a lot more active on the board and be uh, driving. Uh, those KPIs and making sure that uh, the man, the CEO is adhering to what he's promised in in the meetings with the uh, with the board. Yep, absolutely. Now, do you do you think there is a greater scrutiny on use of funds? Um, I feel like I, I have conversations with startups uh, all the time, and, and use of funds is something that we always discuss. Um, and because of uh, you know COVID and everything that 2020 has has thrown at us, do you think that investors are um, hyper focus on making sure that um, you know use of funds. I mean, they always should fall in line with an investor's expectations. But that an investor is quickly to dismiss a company if they think that you know it's a it's a poor use of funds, um, which uh, you know is uh, um, you know exacerbated in, in a time uh, you know that, that we're in in, in 2020. Uh, so, do you think that use of funds is kind of a, an increased data point for uh, for investors? Um, yeah, I, people are, are focused uh, more than they have been in the past because they are they're expecting their companies to be more capital efficient, and they're watching their dollars a lot more tightly than uh, maybe they were uh, when when the stock market was booming and people was, were feeling economically uh, bullish. Uh, so it is a, it is something that uh, we do deal with. Um, you know, we oftentimes will go out with a a, a use of funds. Page, which has a let's say a five million dollar use of funds breakdown and a ten million dollar use of funds breakdown, we we basically see 
where the investor feels most comfortable uh, allocating their dollars and, and work with the uh, investor to come up with the use of funds that, that they believe in and that they're willing to fund. So. Awesome. And then just a last question, but, you know, a big thing for, for the startups in, in the new chip community, as well as, uh, you know, around the world, you know, I think one of the big focuses for them is finding a lead investor. Um, and now a lead investor doesn't necessarily mean the, the individual or institution that's writing the biggest check, but if you had any advice from your, you know, vast experience uh, for startup founders on, on, and obviously I'm sure Young America can help uh, target those uh, you know, those lead investors, but any kind of parting uh, thoughts or, or tidbits of wisdom on that front? Yeah, you know, a lot of times we'll run a process and we'll have up to 10 people that want to co-invest, but nobody wants to lead. And that's a very frustrating process for us as well as for the company. Um, you know, you really need some uh, one investor that's willing to put it, put their reputation on the line as having done the due diligence and um, perhaps getting some preferred economics for being the lead investor, or at least setting the pricing and the terms on the on the term sheet uh, for the lead investor. Uh, so it's very difficult at times. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest challenges with a, with a seed or an early stage a Series A raise is that people are willing to take the risk, but not willing to put in the time and take the risk. So you you really got to work hard to find somebody that's an early a believer in the company. And uh, usually it's somebody who has prior existing uh, knowledge and expertise within that industry niche. And therefore they feel they can add a lot more value because they have uh, been there, done that, and or have a vision as to how they're gonna help the company to be more successful than they would if they weren't an expert in that industry. So that's really the best lead investor, which has uh, knowledge of the industry, uh, value add to contribute uh, to the company within that industry and a, a, a network of uh, relationships within that industry that they can leverage to accelerate the company's growth, get penetrate into uh, additional uh, early adopting customers and help perhaps help build out the minimum viable product. So all of those things, a lead investor should be able to bring uh, some of that uh, in order to add value rather than just being uh, a person who renders the first term sheet. Absolutely. Well, really, really great information, Peter. I want to thank you for your time. Again, Peter Formanek, CEO of Young America Capital. Uh, really appreciate uh, all the, the wisdom and uh, looking forward to, to staying in touch. Uh, take care. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of New Chip Accelerate. If you are interested in learning more about how New Chip enables startup founders to build their business, meet other CEOs, and raise their rounds all while retaining 100% ownership of their companies, check us out at newchip.com. This interview came from New Chip's November online demo week. The upcoming January online demo week will be streaming globally from January 25th through 29th, 2021. To access the week-long stream for free, simply RSVP to the event on the New Chip Online Demo Week January 2021 Eventbrite page. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you soon with the next episode of New Chip Accelerate.